Welcome to the February 28, 2023 podcast of Wisdom Today. Hello, my name is Bill Kelly and I'll be your host today. Today we'll be going over Proverb 28, but before we begin, let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for anyone listening to this podcast today. Lord, I pray that they would understand that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come forth, and Lord, that everyone would hear your voice through this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Proverb 28, beginning in verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. A poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. One who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law Even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. When the righteous rejoice, there is great glory, but when the wicked arise... Men hide themselves. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. A man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. Let no one help him. Whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, But he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. 
Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, It is no transgression, the same is companion to a destroyer. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. Friends, I have a special guest with me today, a fellow uh, Karis student. He is in his first year, Tim Bridwell. And Tim, first of all, I'd like to thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate you inviting me. All right, we just read Proverb 28, and there's a lot of good verses in here. But Tim, I believe you have a scripture picked out you'd like to share. Yep, it's uh, Proverbs 27. So I'll have you read that, Bill, if you could. Okay, verse 27 says, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. I think when I read that... Uh, you know, a lot of what we're learning here at Karis, and, and uh, my wife and I, being young, did not have this kind of teaching, but it, it's about sowing and reaping. It's about being able to plant seeds, and, and in your giving, uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, not only is it producing fruit there, but it also does something for us as well. And I think that, that's why it carries over is uh, God has such a heart for those in poverty who are poor. And it really, uh, a lot of those needs, I believe he wants to meet through the body of Christ, through local churches, through ministries, but even more so through individuals. So um, I think when I see that, I, I think about how we give. But then the flip side is, when we don't and we turn an eye from that, and it talks about curses, to me really what that's saying is uh, the, the curse, what you miss is you miss the richness of what God has for you in that. So you're keeping your money, you're doing these things, but if we bypass opportunities to give, it's hard for God to share more seed with us unless we're ready to sow that. So the ones who are, who are faithful and see those needs and sow into giving to help, whether it be homeless, whether it be your neighbor, uh, it could be people, members of your own family, but you meet those needs out of a desire to give and to sow into that person, the richness of what God has for you not only wells up inside you that makes you want to give more, um, but it just opens up a whole new dimension of understanding God's heart for people. And that's part of intimacy. Wow, that is, that is really profound, Tim, and I'd like to thank you for that. Tim, many people are listening, do not know you. If you would, just share a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, I grew up in a small rural town in Oklahoma, 
Um, my, uh, we had moved around a little bit, was born in Kansas, but we settled outside of Tulsa uh, and grew up there. In fact, my, my mom and my two brothers are still there. Uh, but it, it was a very interesting growing up. My, my dad uh, had a lot of challenges. He, he was an alcoholic, um, uh, was not a happy-go-lucky alcoholic. He, he was very mean-spirited. Uh, so that meant a lot of, uh, you know, he sort of terrorized my brothers and I, you know, only physically, but verbally, um, you know, along those lines, which, again, God has to come in and rebalance you from something like that and start speaking uh, words of life into you. But uh, when I was 10 years old, we moved to this small town. There was a new pastor that came in and held a tent revival. And uh, I was 10 years old. It's a small little Oklahoma town. Uh, way before internet, <laughs> there were three stations, ABC, NBC, CBS. You didn't count PBS because you didn't like any of the programming on there. So, uh, so it was a big deal. So we went there, and I went there with a, a friend of mine, Kenneth Deeds. And as the altar, I didn't understand at all what was going on, except when the altar call came, my heart begin to beat out of my chest. It was the most, it was just, I had never experienced anything. I remember looking at my friend Kenneth and I said, my heart, now again, I'm 10 years old. My heart is just beating out of my chest. What does that mean? He goes, I don't know. Maybe you should go up there. <laughs> and so I made my way up to the front, not knowing really what was going on other than there was something supernatural happening inside of me. And there I, uh, man, just began to weep. Uh, and uh, uh, prayed the sinner's prayer, and uh, uh, you know, and that began my relationship with Jesus at that time. Wow, Tim, that is so neat that you did that at such an early age. Um, I certainly did not do that. But let me ask you a follow-up question: Did you notice a change right away? What I did notice um, was a desire. There was, there was a longing inside. So after that, and, and you'd have to understand my family, uh, the, they were not Christian. There were no Christians on any side of my family, on either side. Um, the only thing I knew about Christianity was the old-time gospel hour on Sunday. And my dad would listen to that because he just liked the music. Um, but there was a church who started a bus ministry because we lived outside of town. And uh, one of the guys came by and said, uh, hey, would you like to come to church if we come pick you up? And I said, sure. And so that began um, my searching. That began meeting the longing and really the call of God at that point. Um, as I went through my teen years, I, I, that sort of began to take a back seat to everything else going on. Um, there were, there were issues. I'll, I'll, I'll say this and, you know, for the sake of transparency, um, you know, because our, because our home life was so volatile, um, that we lived really in fear. Fear was the dominant spirit in my home. And that's, and again, that's part of my, uh, my dad's alcoholism. I will say this, that later on uh, in his life, he gave his heart to Jesus. 
God led me to call him about three days before he, he passed away when he was 49. And God led me to call him about three days before. And he had remarried and had another little girl. So I, I, I have a half sister and a half brother who are much younger. Uh, but he said for the first time, I realize now after raising the children and God's helped me to see how much I missed you guys growing up. He began to weep. I began to weep. Um, there was a great deal of healing that came with that. There was a release because I could physically say, Dad, I forgive you. I let that go. Wow, Tim. You know, I wish I could say that, but um, my dad died at 58 years old, and he would not see me before he died. So you are fortunate to have had that. Tim, if you don't mind, at what age were you when that happened? I was 30 years old. So, Tim, at this time, you're 30 years old. I want to ask you a question. At this point in your life, when you look back at everything that you have gone through, what would you say is the most important decision you've ever made? And tell us why. Uh, probably the most important, I met my wife, Sean. Uh, we were both uh, married and then divorced, um, kind of married for the wrong reasons, um, but... When I met Sean, and, um, and then at that point, Sean was not a believer, and so we both, at that point, uh, I was able to lead her to Jesus, and then we both began this journey together. But again, part of that is um, Sean grew up Catholic, um, so again, we, we have a very, uh, you know, it was very uh, works-based um, a lot of traditions, a lot of doctrines, those things. She didn't really understand that. So really, for and, and I'm 64 now, so for the past 34 years, we've been walking a journey of healing. Let's put it that way. We, we, God would bring us to a place and then begin to show us things in our life where we needed to begin to release those to Him. But, but again, because of my background being in a very performance-based uh, religion. I spent most of my time under condemnation. I, and, and one of the things about condemnation, it is demotivating. It will just wreck you to the point that you do not think that, you, you, because again, how do we view God when it's performance-based? Has a big book, writing down everything you do wrong until, until you cross some point that you have no idea, and then you get smacked, right? Which is the exact opposite of who God really is. We see now in our lives, um, you know, his great mercy, his great love and tenderness and care in walking this out. We, we discovered when we were, we were married about probably 15 years, we, we discovered Joseph Prince and the grace message. We had never heard anything like that. And all of a sudden we just we poured ourselves into that. And what that did is that, that answered the question of condemnation. When I found out that God's not mad at me, when God's not waiting uh, to um, send a sickness or, or some calamity as punishment for something I 
didn't do or something I did do, when we begin to understand that his great love for us was that he accepted us where we were and that we no longer had to fear him. Then not long after that, we discovered Andrew Womack. And, uh, and then that just really began to propel things into uh, just another dimension of, of our relationship with Jesus. Wow, that is so good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to Romans cha- uh, chapter 5, verse 8. And out of the New Living Translation, it said, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And Tim, you know, you bring up a good point, but Jesus will accept anyone wherever they are. And He is not concerned with what you're doing, where you're living, what mistakes you're making. He's going to take you right where you are, and He is going to lift you up. But continue with your story. What do you have to say from uh, moving forward? Well, I think, I think at this point, I want to talk a little bit about the differences in my family. So forgiveness and bitterness, unforgiveness and bitterness. Um, my, I, I have someone that I know that has lived their whole life that way. And, and w- without saying too much, it, it's my brother. Was never able to forgive my father because he was very mean. Uh, he was mean to all of us, but he was really mean to my brother Mike. And the reason for that is my brother Mike is exactly like him. Very strong-willed, uh, great, just a wonderful man, but he still struggles with that. And we just had a conversation just recently about how that unforgiveness and bitterness corrupts us on the inside and opens us up to demonic influence, so a darkness in our mind, but also can affect us physically. And so if I say anything, this whole podcast, if I could say this, is that God wants to take you where you are in your unforgiveness and in your bitterness and bring you to a place that you're able to release that. It's not that you forget it. It's not even that you have to, somebody that's, a, you know, that's done something to you, it's not that you have to go in and embrace them and now you know, you've got to integrate back into their life. The whole point is, is it's release. It's releasing what it is to Jesus and allowing him to heal you on the inside and then to work toward in love toward those that have wronged you. Because why? Because he died for all of us. All of us, our great need uh, for his forgiveness is, is what sets the tone for our forgiveness of others because we've been forgiven so much. Wow, Tim, that is so good. And I feel the need to go to Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, in verses 23 and 24. It says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and when you bring it, remember that your brother has aught against you, leave your gift at the altar, go thy way first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. 
Jesus is telling us, yeah, he may be interested in our gifts and our giving, but first we need to forgive anyone who has ought against us. We need to be reconciled, especially if these are people that are in your family. These are the people that are very close to you. And a lot of times, families and people can become estranged from each other because of one simple hurt that one of you created, and it's not worth it. Go and Ask for forgiveness a lot of times, even if it's not your fault. By humbling yourself, it opens the door to reconciliation. What do you think of that, Tim? Uh, that's that's perfect, Bill. You, it, God's heart is he loves everyone. He is not willing that any should perish. And then in our walk with Jesus, especially, here's the big change that came in our lives is when we recognize the need to surrender. So at that point, when you come to this place of surrender, and and surrender is, is, is a place in the will where you simply say, Father, here's my life. Here's everything in it. I want you to Use me, direct me, lead me, work through me so that, so that others might be changed by your love. And then the path in surrender is just this awesome journey that you have. My take on this, and this is, Andrew talks about andeology, so this is Timology, is that we can walk with Jesus and we can go to church and we can pay our tithes, and we can do all these wonderful things, but then we go back home, and we go to our life, and we do this, and we have all these plans and all those things. There's a place that God calls us to where he says, if you will give this to me, if you will give me yourself, you will give me your life, you will give me all of those things, then I will show you a life that you never could have dreamed of. So what we've found since we really surrendered, both Sean and I, and said, okay, Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about, listen, it's not about stuff anymore. It's not about new, it's not about houses and cars and stuff that I was sharing with some young guys today that I took out to lunch. You know, all this stuff is just in a landfill somewhere. What? It doesn't, it God doesn't want to keep those things from us, but yet he has this place if we'll surrender all of that to him. It opens up a dimension that I never knew before in walking with him. It is a supernatural uh, dimension of that the Holy Spirit is in intimate contact with you every moment of every day. Stop here talk to this person, share their love. Here's a homeless person. Let's give them some money. We, and, and we try and do that, you know. So, so the excitement comes after surrender. The excitement comes at that point in saying, Jesus, it's a whole new world out there. I have never seen it this way before. And he says, and then the Holy Spirit will say, you think that's something? Wait till I really begin to show you 
all the things that I have for you, all the things that I want to do in you and through you. And I think that's one of the keys because many times in surrender, what we're doing, what are we surrendering? Unforgiveness, bitterness, surrendering our right to, uh, to retaliate, mm-hmm. to get revenge, right? Uh, I think Joyce Meyer says it best. It's like, he said, she says, unforgiveness is like taking poison, expecting the other person to die. You know, it just doesn't work that way, but it's very true. Wow, that is so good. And, you know, Tim, I want to thank you for having the heart of Paul and taking some of the first-year younger students under your wing, because that's my heart as well. And I believe that, you know, we're supposed to look after the younger generation, and they are the ones that are going to follow us. So if you would, tell, tell me how you got into that and how you, you started that here at Keras. Well, here's what I begin to see. As I came in, uh, now, I'm an extrovert by personality. was in outside sales for years. And listen, if you aren't an extrovert, you're not going to succeed. So um, as I began connecting with people, I would see first-year students who were by themselves, who were disconnected. They, they, they hadn't found friends or they haven't found a connection or a group to to that. And so God began dealing with me, and, and there, were, there were people in particular that were having some issues because of their lack of not having a, a circle of friends to be able to love them and encourage them and be with them. And so what we did is I just set up a simple, we went to a local pizza parlor, and I've uh, just been talking to all these young guys, and we brought them all together, and we just had the most awesome time sharing about uh, where are you from? What brought you here? You know, what are, th- what are some of the things God's showing me? T- tell me about your interest. Tell me. See, because it's all connection, right? So God's leading us to a place of where he wants us. He, he specifically has people that he wants to direct us to, to accomplish those very things. Because nobody, and especially I saw that in Karis, I said, because it's a wonderful atmosphere. It is terrific. International, man, I've met people from countries all over the world, and they're just wonderful people. But you have all these young people, it's really young people, coming in from everywhere, Norway, South Africa, you know, across the United States, or they live down in Colorado Springs. You know, it's all over the place. But if they didn't have a circle of friends, they came here with courage, right? Because why? Because God told them to, and they were willing to obey. And so that has been my vision there, is just to try to link people with a group that would just be able to love, support, and encourage them. Wow, and that is so good. And Tim, you know, I have mentioned this to a number of people, but I think when all is said and done, when we leave Keras 5, 10, 15 years from now, I truly believe that what we're going to remember most is not the instructors, even though they are doing a fantastic job. And I'll tell you, anyone listening, if you have the ability to come here, I would encourage you to do so because the instructors here are as good, if not better, than anyone else anywhere in the world. 
But Tim, I truly believe it's your friendships that are going to last a lifetime that you are going to primarily remember. So that is my goal. That's what I do is try to get people in my phone, get contact information, because if I've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, these people are not going to be in your phone for 15 or 20 years, but you are going to know them thousands of years from now. And I think that's awesome. How have you and your wife adjusted to coming here? And how has being in the Word 20 hours a week changed your guys' marriage? Well, it's, it's deepened our relationship with Jesus. We both independently feel that we've, we're, we are closer to Him from an intimacy factor. So that's individual. And then together, we feel the same. So what that, that dynamic that is changing internally is all of a sudden, well, I, I said this in my DE group. I said, I have to be real careful the way I talk to my wife, because not only is, is uh, she my wife, but God's her, God's her father. So I have God the father and I have God the father-in-law. And so, so I try to keep those things in mind when I when we interact in kindness and in uh, generosity and love, uh, but we try to carry that over into our everyday. So no matter who we are, so so if to wrap it up is individually, God calls you to this place of intimacy, and it all begins with surrender. So in this place of surrender, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to draw you to himself, sharing truths, and, uh, and begins to show you things. And he goes, and, and he'll so gently say, like a gentleman, this, this prohibits you, this is inhibiting you, this is, in, this is keeping you from entering in further. I'd, I would like to to help you with that. And then our response is, Father, anything, anything that keeps me from developing and moving into more of an intimate relationship, we want that to change. And we have felt that even in just the few months that we've been here, we felt a deepening. We feel uh, closer and, and it's made our love for people greater. Wow, and that's so good. And, you know, Tim, I've mentioned this on a number of occasions, but I feel that you love your parents, you love your children, you love your grandchildren. But when it comes to your wife, it you have to step it up to the word cherish. And um, what does that word cherish mean to you when it comes to loving your wife? I think the word cherish to mean means... Um, great appreciation for not only who she is. See, and if I look back at my first marriage, my first marriage was a very long distance relationship. She's a wonderful woman. To this day, we have a terrific relationship. But what we found was that there wasn't the, the, the depth of knowing each other that we needed to know going into marriage because we were young, right? And sometimes you're just young and stupid. So I found with Sean, we have been able to share things with each other that nobody on this planet knows except each other. And it's because of trust. 
So as you love your spouse, and in this case, as you love your wife and cherish her and respect her and appreciate her, there's a longing in you that says, what more can I do? What more could I do to help, to encourage, to love? And so, um, so I try to be as romantic as possible, and, and, but I'm built that way. I, I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. And so uh, I, just, I just love to romance my wife. And, and that means um, telling her how beautiful she is, complimenting her on her clothes. Thank you for fixing breakfast for me this morning. I appreciate the way that you keep up on things around here. Do you know how important you are to me? And do you know there's nobody on the face of the earth that I would rather journey through life with on our way to the celestial city than my wife. And so she knows that and she feels the same with me and pours back into me because that's the great thing, right? As you pour into someone, it's almost like priming the pump. They just want to pour back. And all of a sudden you just have this place of you're pouring out to here while you're getting it back. See, a lot of times we're mistaken. It's a lie of the enemy that, well, I'm going to do all this and and nobody ever does anything for me. My wife doesn't do anything for me or she doesn't respond or she doesn't say, you know what? That just means there's, in the depths of who she is, there are some things that are holding, holding her back from entering into the fullness of the relationship. So we found during our journey is as we began to honestly talk to one another in kindness and in love, that, that we begin to move past some of the things that really uh, affected us early in our marriage. And it's usually about rights. You know what I mean? Hey, I do all this. I should be getting back. And, and you know, and, and, and I get that because I lived that. But once, and I always go back to this one word, Bill, surrender. Once you go to a place of surrender, then the Holy Spirit has carte blanche to be able to go and, you know what, change me so that, so that I become the very thing that she needs the most and vice versa. Wow, that is so good. Tim, I'm going to go in a different direction. We're, we're almost out of time here, but what I would like to do, I would like for you to think about your destiny And I always think sometimes from time to time, whenever I go to a funeral and you see that open casket, what would that be like when I'm in there? Tim, if you would, what would you like for people to remember you by? And what do you go about purposely doing to make sure you see that happens? I think it began to change with us when you begin to understand that God gave you that destiny before the world was even formed. He saw us as individuals and knew that we'd be born in the time we were in, to the parents we were, in the location we were, and that he has a destiny for us. One of the things that propels me is like a Lewis and Clark thing. What's on the other side of the hill? What's across the river? I see a mountain range. What's on the other side? And it's that way walking with Jesus. 
every day it's like new territory. And again, what, what's, what's the buzzword of the day? Surrender. That only comes in surrender because in surrender he can trust us with the next step. So that for me is the most exciting thing about my destiny is I don't particularly know everything right now, but I don't have to because I know the one and have a relationship with the one and the one is my father. He knows everything and that he's leading us in a direction. All that we know and that we have sort of, you know, in a, you look in a mirror and you, you get sort of a vision of what's going on. But I know that we're called, um, and, and I guess everyone is called in a certain sense, but we sense we're called to people. There's something we're going to be plugged in somewhere that has to do with people. We, we have a very tender heart for um, sex tra- trafficking. I'm going to start to weep here a little bit. Uh, for victims. And um, the most awful thing, the most awful, awful thing of people being kidnapped, taken, coerced, whatever it is, into something to meet such a base, corrupt need. And the devastation that happens to those to not only women, but to men and boys and girls. It's just ha- it's so rampant across the thing is that uh, there is a certain call to that. And, w- and we, want, we want more than anything in the world to fulfill that. Well, you know, I know when you go by and you live your life on a daily basis, I know that one of the hardest things to understand is there are more slaves on earth mm-hmm. now than there has ever been on earth. And it's some of the hardest things to understand. And this sex trafficking thing is, I mean, it is humongous. It, it reaches every nation. It reaches every continent. And it's something that is just so pervasive. And yet the media doesn't want to expose how serious a problem it is. Tim, if you would, just share um, any further things you'd like to add before we close. I think if I had to end up with anything, I would encourage whoever's listening to turn and look at Jesus and see his great heart of love for you as an individual, the same way that he's done with me, the same way it was done with Bill and our wives. And know in that is that is the safest place you will ever be because God will never, ever, ever, ever compromise his love and his care. The same way you you can imagine if you're a parent or a grandparent, imagining children, imagining all of these things, um, Know that that God's heart is the safest place you'll find. And in that, you'll find a way to release that to him and allow him to begin to rebuild your life from the inside out. Because he loves you so much. Wow, that was so good. Tim, if you would, please do the honor of leading anyone who has yet to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, your wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Holy Son, who left the riches of heaven and the riches of relationship with you to be born as his own creation because he saw the only way to redeem us to the Father and his and his his perfect plan and perfect relationship was so that Jesus gave his life for you. He suffered for our healing. He died for our forgiveness. He resurrected so that we could have the wholeness of promises. So if you, at this point, you feel the Holy Spirit leading you, calling you, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, and He rose again so that we can have right relationship with Him, if you repeat that and you look to Him and you confess those things with your mouth, now begins the greatest adventure of your life that you will find everything that you are looking for. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, thanks, Tim. That is so good. I really appreciate you. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the, the, the coming year and, and how we're going to end up. We're still only in November, and we still have six months more to go. But thank you so much. I'm going to close with a blessing. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, please join me again tomorrow as we further explore wisdom today.